and start thinking about what do I want to look like? What do I want to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years? So failure is a very important part of success because you have to have the persistence and the determination to get back up again. Hi, this is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Wine Podcast. Thanks very, very much for coming back and listening. I'm super stoked to have you here. And once again, I've been encouraged by my staff to encourage you to go rate, the, uh, rate this podcast on iTunes so that we can show up when people are searching for things uh, that motivate them and that have to do with the things that we talk about. So go to iTunes and look up Unbeatable Mind or Mark Devine Podcast and, uh, and give us uh, five stars. Hoo-yah. Also, um, if you're not on our email list, you can go to unbeatablemind.com slash podcast and drop your name on the list. So I'm super stoked today to be talking to Mark Irwin. I just finished reading his book called The Powers, 12 Principles to Transform Your Life from Ordinary to Extraordinary. Um, Mark's an amazing guy. I mean, he's had a very, very diverse life. Obviously, he's an author. He's built some businesses. Uh, He's a former United States ambassador, a philanthropist, even an ordained lay minister. He's got, um, I want to talk to Mark about his honorary knighthood and the order of the long leaf pine, which... um, Sounds important, but I have no idea what that is. Mark, thanks for your time. Really stoked to have you on the show. Well, great. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate you uh, having me. Been looking forward to talking to you after reviewing your website and your blogs, and I'm very impressed with what you're up to. Awesome. Thanks, man. So, what is the long leaf pine? The order of the long leaf pine. That sounds uh, interesting. <laughs> well. That's the uh, highest award that can be given to a civilian in the state of North Carolina. Okay. It's awarded by the governor of the state for service beyond the call of duty. Oh, cool. So I, I'm a Kentucky colonel. Have you ever heard that? It sounds similar. Yeah, I'm familiar with the Kentucky colonel, and it is it is similar. Okay. And, and most states have something, something like similar that. to that for people who have served their state long and well. Yeah. Well, good job. The long leaf pine. I love it. So let's, let's get into your life uh, a little bit. Like how, what were some of the you know, foundational values that you learned growing up and, and you know, some, some events that helped shape you know, who you are in your early life? Well, Mark, I'm, I'm a little bit of an unusual story. You know, we've heard a lot of stories about going from rags to riches. Yeah. And, uh, but I, uh, I went from riches to rags. <laughs> Um, Good job. <laughs> and then back to more meaningful riches. Uh, what happened was my grandfather was uh, at the turn of the last century was uh, very significant. He discovered and exploited oil in West Virginia. He was the first one to do that. And he drilled 356 wells and 354 of them came in no as gushers. Wow. So <laughs> that oil must have been right on the surface. No doubt. Uh, but at any rate, he was extremely wealthy, and uh, uh, my my grandmother was his second wife. His first had passed away, and he wanted his son and heir, and he got three daughters. Um, and one of them was my mother. Uh, but unfortunately, because of the Great Depression, uh, and then because of um, uh, just poor personal controls uh, by 
my mother and her two sisters, uh, the, the fortune was um, dissipated. Mm. And by the time I was a teenager, uh, my mother was having to work for a living at a dress shop. And, and uh, she was an alcoholic and mm. deeply depressed and had a lot of problems, three husbands, which were a lot of problems. And, mm. and uh, so she had a very, very tough life. Very unfortunate. But as a teenager, I became very disillusioned because I'd seen our family go from riches to rags. Mm. And, and I became rebellious and thought the world owed me something, put a big old chip on my shoulder and went around with that. Hmm. And uh, I hung around with the worst possible people you could hang around with. Got in big trouble. Hmm. Uh, and at age 16, I was sitting in a jail cell. Uh, mm. waiting to be sentenced for uh, a felony that I did, in fact, commit. Mm. Uh, and that was when the Lord came to me. I reached out to him in that jail cell. I knew of where, nowhere else to go but to him. Mm. And I reached out to him, and I, I sought forgiveness. I told him I was ashamed of myself and that with his help, I would make uh, something more significant out of out of me. Uh, if he would help me. And he came to me and, and people say, well, how did he come to you? I said, I don't know. I just know he did. Hmm. I knew he did at the time. And he, a peace came over me. And within a week, uh, I was before the judge and the judge said, did you commit this crime? And I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, well, um, the sentence will be uh, four years until you're 21 years of age. I just turned 17 mm -hmm. or was about to about a week later, actually. And he said, four years until you're 21 years of age. But I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to allow you to, instead of doing four years in jail, do four years in the military. Hmm. And I said, thank you, Lord, under my breath. And, and I said, I love the military. Uh, and thank him, thank the judge, and went into the Air Force uh, just just after my 17th birthday. And the Air Force was the best thing that could have happened to me because, with your background, you know how important that discipline and self discipline is right. that they teach. Right. And they they also taught me that there was only one person in charge of my future, and it was me. And and my past was irrelevant. Right. Uh, so here I am, a high school dropout no education, no money, and four years of imposed duty in the military. Hmm. Um, so uh, I, I decided, uh, somebody gave me two books. One was Think and Grow Rich by mm -hmm. Napoleon Hill, and the other one was The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Mm -hmm. uh, they were old, ragged versions, uh, and I don't even remember who gave them to me, but the, he said, read these. And so I did, and they changed my life. Yeah. Uh, I started setting goals. I set a vision. And at age 18, I said, my vision is I want to restore my family's wealth and position mm -hmm. in the community. And then I followed that with a goal. And that was I would be a millionaire by the time I was 40 years old. Now, picture some kid that has literally no education. I was a 10th grade dropout because they booted me out for non-attendance. Mm -hmm. uh, and when they did, uh, the uh, principal of the school said, son, you've got a lot of potential, but until you put it to work, we can't help you. Right. Which turned out to be exactly right. Uh, so 
I worked my way through college, both while I was in the Air Force and then after I got out of Air out of the Air Force, I continued to work my way through college. Started working on my goal. I designed my college program to uh, to focus on the things that would meet my vision of uh, and goal of becoming a millionaire. Decided I wanted to go into the real estate field because that's where my grandfather had made so much money, and so I went after it. And out of college, I went to work for a major corporation. Worked for them and saved ten to fifteen percent of my earnings day one through my whole career with that company and continue to work on goals and continue to work work on uh, mentors and friends and getting advice from the right people, associating with the right people and building my own Mm self-discipline. Long story short is at 37, I was a millionaire. Nice. Uh, So I achieved that goal and, and have just gone on from there to do other things that were far beyond the expectation of, uh, anybody including me <laughs> <So>. <laughs> all right you, you covered 37 years there that was pretty um pretty awesome i, I just wanted to let you know that i didn't really have time to tell you this but um my father was in the same situation as you he not the, the richest of rags necessarily although that that was part of it too because we had a family business that was started back in 1890s that was very successful and uh, my father's grandfather was uh, you know driving Rolls Royces and all that kind of stuff, and then that that wealth was dissipated after the Great Depression. So that's not an uncommon story, and um, and also he was a rebel rouser, whatever you want to call it, a hellraiser, and literally got thrown out of Union um, College, and uh, was you know sitting in front of a judge, and the judge said the same thing to him: you go to jail or, or join the army. So he joined the army, the Eleventh Airborne. He went to Germany for a few years. Isn't that fascinating? I wonder, that must have been a fairly common thing back uh, back in the day for a judge. Well, it sure was the answer to my prayer. Yeah. And, and that experience, you know, in the Air Force, um, you know, first of all, why did you choose the Air Force over, you know, Army or Navy or uh, Marine Corps? I had had a, uh, well, my father, who I didn't really know, I met one time for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but he was in the uh, uh, Air Corps, Army Air Corps in World War II, and my stepfather, who never liked me and I never liked him, hmm. uh, was also in the Army Air Corps. And so I guess that was the reason. I didn't have any better yeah. reason than that, better or worse. So you, you didn't have a relationship with your father or your stepfather. And how did that affect your development, uh, you know, and, and, and some of the challenges that you faced in life? Well, uh, it, it certainly gave me a, uh, an inferiority complex because I had no knowledge of my father, and that was his namesake. Right. Uh, but they had a bitter divorce, and they divorced the year I was born, and and uh, he wanted nothing to do with my sister or me, and since my mother was still wealthy, he didn't have to provide child support or anything of that nature. Mm. So I was just never allowed to know him. And then my stepfather was, was not into children at all, and he was, he was one of these very unhappy people who, uh, just never had a lot of fun in life, and, hmm. and he just didn't go for kids. And so I had no men role models mm-hmm. growing up, and that was a you know looking back that was probably fairly destructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mother was first a socialite, and then and then uh, kind of a sad case of depression and alcoholism and all of those sorts of things. So she wasn't a role model. Mm. 
Now, the only person I had who had sanity in my life was my sister, who's six years, no, three years older than me, and my nanny, who stayed with our family even after the money was gone. Mm-hmm. And she she was a, a country woman from West Virginia, and full of common sense and full of compassion and empathy. And she she was a tremendous positive influence on me. But but like I say, I had no male role models. Right. But I learned early on that uh, you you don't get to pick your family, but you sure do get to pick your friend. Right. And so I picked mentors and friends after I got in the Air Force. I, I, I picked people who could who could help me mm-hmm. to be better, rather than people who you who I might have been able to look down upon and feel superior to. Right. I didn't. I I, re, I looked for people who I could look up to, right. uh, and uh, feel positive about. Right. And that was part of that power of positive thinking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, those, uh, I wanted to address those. The 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 Peel's book, Power of Positive Thinking, and, and Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. You know, these have been coming up again and again when I talk to people in podcasts and in Unbeatable Mind, and they had a, a huge impact on me as well. And I, I think I read Think and Grow Rich, actually both those books, when I was in my early twenties, actually no late teens, and then yeah. I, I read Napoleon Hill's book. I think seven or eight times since then. Oh, I still read. Really, an extraordinary extraordinary book and what it sounds like what he taught you through his words was that you can can take you can take control of your life by taking control of your mind and if you can learn how to think well then everything else starts to fall into place is that right isn't it amazing yeah isn't it amazing it seems like, like such a simple thing and you wonder why isn't it taught in school you know or, or why isn't it just assumed but it's not you know it, it really isn't so that's why I think it's really awesome that you're, you know, with your book, The Power, is you're starting to, you know, to, you're going to help people understand just how powerful they are by taking control of that internal space, the inner domain is what I call it. So after, so you, you sounds like, so you, you hit your goal of becoming a millionaire. That was more of an external goal. You, you know, began to operate at a much higher level. And then what was next? Uh, so a, a, after 37 Obviously, you started to turn more towards significance and, than success. So what what came next, and how did that uh, unfold for you? Well, it, it was interesting. When I reached the millionaire status, there's an interesting thing that happens. Number one, you can't tell anybody, <laughs> uh, because that would be sort of obscene and bragging and ridiculous. Right. Right. So we were really proud of what you've accomplished, but you have to keep it to yourself. But more <laughs> importantly, the, the goal that I had been carrying in my wallet, literally, uh, for 18 years right. was now complete. And right. so there was an empty space. And so I quickly said, well, my new goal is that I will be worth at least $10 million by the age of 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just sort of a knee jerk to having an empty spot uh, in my goals. Right. Uh, and I achieved that at age 46. And that's when I started moving to try to fulfill something more significant than just adding additional dollars to my pile. Mm-hmm. My partner at the time, who was also a great mentor of mine, was probably worth 10 times what I was worth, maybe more than that. And he was 17 years older than me. And so as I looked at him and admired him greatly, I said to myself, in 17 years, I don't want to look like that because mm-hmm. he had a single dimensional life. He had, he, he was great at work. He loved work. 
he had nothing else in his life. It mm-hmm. was a it was an unfulfilled life in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, and so I, I said, and he, and he wasn't a particularly happy person. He was a pretty pretty sour person, mm. uh, but a great guy. Loved him dearly. Mm-hmm. He passed away this this year. This this year. Mm. So, but I, I decided I didn't want to look like that. So the idea of adding another zero was out. So that's when I did like a six-month soul search mm-hmm. to try to figure out if that's not my goal, my next vision and goal, what do I want? And I decided that my vision was that I wanted balance in my life. And so I set as a goal that I would spend no more than a third of my time working. And I love to work, and I've been working 90-plus percent of the time. You know, 16-hour days were not unusual. Mm-hmm. I decided I was going to spend a third working a third with family and faith, and a third, which would include giving back and so on, mm-hmm. and a third playing. And so I had to rearrange my whole life, and that was when my partner and I decided to uh, uh, split our company, uh, split the assets. We had 60 partnerships and six corporations and close to a billion dollars worth of properties and mm. And so we took five years to split those things up, hmm. uh, and and I went off in pursuit of uh, a, a bigger life for me, one that was more fulfilling and and could meet those goals. And it was a great change in my life with a new vision and a new set of goals. And I've been able to again go way further along the path of significance mm-hmm. since having made that change at age 46, 47. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that included being able to serve my country again uh, in, in a couple of roles. Uh, back during the Clinton administration, he became a good friend of mine. And, and I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican either. I'm just a person that looks for the best candidate for the mm-hmm. job. Uh, it's sort of like saying, you know, I, I'm not a Marine. I'm not a Navy guy. I'm looking I'm looking for whoever can do the job of taking care of our country. It doesn't matter what armed service he's in. If he can do a better job, I'm for her. Absolutely. If you're finding inspiration in the Unbeatable Mind podcast, then I bet you're ready to take the next step toward discovering your why and developing your self-mastery. So I encourage you to check out the Unbeatable Mind Online Academy. The Unbeatable Mind Academy is our intensive online training program with step-by-step techniques and training for developing mental focus and clarity, expanding your awareness, developing authentic leadership, increasing your functional fitness, nutrition, and recovery, and all around developing yourself to a higher stage and maximizing your performance as a human being. You're going to get great training and support from myself and other coaches, and you'll be connected to your peers on the same journey in our private Facebook group. So if you're ready to cultivate your warrior spirit and develop your unbeatable mind, find out more at unbeatablemind.com. That's unbeatablemind.com. Cool. Yeah. See you in training. So how, how did you, how did you meet uh, Mr. Clinton? Was it through some fundraising or, and how did that? No, no, that was way before that. I met him, I met him in the mid eighties. I was invited to attend something called Renaissance weekend, which was, the East Coast equivalent to the Bohemian out on the West Coast. You'd be familiar with that being in San Diego. Right. You know, Bohemian Grove, 
which is a gathering of highly significant people from all different fields and walks. They, they shared a common thing of being highly successful in their given profession, mm-hmm. whether, whether it was politics or business or inventions, or, uh, writing or acting or whatever. So this was a gathering of originally 100 families. I was blessed and honored to be one of those. And then Bill Clinton and I met there, and then we played golf there together, and then we made it a, an annual golf outing on New Year's Day for several years. Even after he was elected president, we continued our golf outings and continued our friendship. And So we've been friends for over 30 years now, he and uh, he and his wife and my wife and me. And when he decided to run in 89, uh, he asked me if I would help him by introducing him to the leadership in Charlotte, where I live. And mm-hmm. I said, of course, I'd be glad to do that. I helped raise a little bit of money for him, not a lot. And by golly, he got elected. And once once he was elected, he asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, really, I don't want, don't want to do anything except be your friend. Well, he hadn't heard that before. <laughs> no. But uh, we, we did that for several years. And then, but then I was convinced by one of his chiefs of staff to go on the board of OPIC, which was a presidential appointment. I did mm-hmm. that. Then later on, they asked me if I would serve. And because I had changed my life all around by then, I had time to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I served as an ambassador and and uh, just had a, a lovely time. But we, we had tremendous access to the White House and to all the parties and so on and so forth. So we enjoyed all the mm-hmm. great benefits of being a friend of Bill Clinton's mm-hmm. and Hillary. All right. But And then I, then I served in his second term. Because my partner and I had been able to sort out all of our stuff by then, and I really didn't need to spend all my time on that. Mm-hmm. So that's how we became friends, and we're still friends today. I wrote a book called An Unlikely Journey about four or five years ago, and it's my memoir. I'll send you a copy. Sure. But in there, he wrote the forward to that for me, okay. which, which was a wonderful thing for him to do. And uh, so... And he was at our house about two weeks ago, visiting. We did a little function there, here at the house, just mm-hmm. not there, here. So, uh, so he asked you to be the uh, an ambassador to the Seychelles, and the it's like a bunch of islands, right, out out uh, near yeah, it's Africa. three island nations. Uh, it's a, it's called a regional embassy. It's, it's three small countries instead of one bigger country. Got it. Uh, and it, it's based in Mauritius, which is the most democratic, most wealthy, most well-educated nation in Africa. Okay. Uh, an incredible country, a gateway to Africa, sort of like Singapore is to mm-hmm. uh, East, uh, or Dubai to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a wonderful country. It was a fabulous assignment, and we just had a great time. So the three, um, the, it was Mauritius, how do you say that? Mauritius. Mauritius. Mauritius, Seychelles, and Comoros. Comoros, yeah. Seychelles is, is an island, isn't it, though, right off the coast? Yeah, they're, they're all three island nations. Oh, all island nations, okay. Yeah, and Seychelles uh, is magnificent. It's the most I've beautiful heard. place I've ever seen on the face of the earth. Really? And it's it was a Marxist-Leninist regime at the time. Mauritius is it was a fierce democracy 
and very capitalistic and a lot like a little small America. Huh. And then Comoros was a military dictatorship. No kidding. So, <laughs> All three of them. Well, I had my civics lesson going. Yes, you did, didn't you? So what, with that, um, that post of being the ambassador to these three you know, island nations, what were the challenges and, and what, were, what are you most proud of you know, from that assignment? That sounds fascinating. Well, when, when, uh, when you are nominated to, uh, or asked to become an ambassador and you go through a process, it takes about six months mm-hmm. to do it. And it, it involves a lot of briefings, a lot of training and so on briefings with every agency you can think of and some you've never heard of, right. you probably have as a SEAL. Right. Uh, and during that process, I received some advice from Jesse Helms, who was the head of foreign relations and mm-hmm. my senator in North Carolina, and uh, uh, as you know, a, a fierce Republican. But in my case, he, he said, I'm going to make you uh, go through this process so fast you won't even know it. You will do a magnificent job, and I will support you. And he came to my hearing and testified for me. Mm. Uh, but he he said, Mark, when you go to your post, remember this. Make a difference mm-hmm. while you're there. Make a difference. You'll know what that means. So I stored that away because of the way he said it. Uh, then I met with Doug Coe, who's the head of the National Prayer Breakfast, and a very dear friend of mine for many, many years, and he said, Mark, while you're there, do good. Mm. Jesus would want you to do good while you're there, so you do good. You'll know what that means. Well, that reminded me of <laughs> uh, of Jesse Helms, and then when I went to the White House to say goodbye to the president before going out to post, the president put his hand on my shoulder, and I, I blubbered along, you know, I said, Mr. President, this is a great honor, and I'm going to do my best to do my duty for you, and so on. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Mark, have fun, too. (laughs) (laughs) Do good. Have fun. And so on the plane, flying down there, I turned to my wife, who was asleep, because it's 22 hours down there. Mm -hmm. I turned to her, and I said, Joan, I've got it. I know all these briefings and so on, but here's our mission. Make a difference. Do good and have fun. Nice. And if we do that, when we come back from this posting, we will feel really good about our service. She said, great, Mark, now go to sleep. <laughs> so that became my mantra, or my vision, you could say, because vision is so important, mm-hmm. that everything I did there, I wanted to measure by, if I do this, will I be able to make a difference, do good, and have some fun too? Mm-hmm. And And we had the best time of our life there. We did a lot of good. Uh, I talk about some of that in, in the book that you have mm-hmm. in, under the service part, being of service to others. Uh, but we, we really made a lot of difference and, and we did a lot of good for a lot of people and, and we know that. And so that was just the greatest experience. It sounds like it. That's neat. In your book, one of the things I really like that you did is you profile people who kind of exemplify the, the values or the, the powers that, that, you, um, that you kind of bring out. And some of those powers, I mean, they sound, it's neat because, you know, when you look through the table of contents, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, goals, vision, knowledge, yeah, I get all that. But, you know, the way you um, explicate it and bring it out and then I talk about your own experience and then you have, um, you know, a profile of a, like profiles encourage almost, <laughs> like John Kennedy did with his book. 
about people who've really exemplified that in their life. I'd love to talk about some of those. So some of the powers that I thought were really uh, powerful <laughs> that'd be worth talking about and, and our listeners would, would find interesting were, um, and you already mentioned it, but vision, the power of vision. Can you talk about that and you know, who you think uh, exemplified that power really, really well? Well, you know, the power of vision is where it all starts. Once you, once you get, uh, uh, get the fact that you have to be in charge of yourself and you understand that, then the, the next most important step is uh, to understand where you want to get to. Right. Just like when you decided you wanted to become a SEAL, uh, you decided that you had a lot of work to do to become a SEAL, but it was your vision. Right. And so, so developing that vision is is critical. And I talk about in my book how to how to do that. And I talk about going to a going to your quiet place, wherever you feel most comfortable and and able to speak to yourself without any interruptions, disruptions, and be able to dig down in your own mind. Mm-hmm. And, and I talk about you can. In my case, that is under a tree in the woods at the at the uh, just the beginning of sunlight coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm a hunter and have, have hunted a good deal over my career. That's a that's a great thing to do in the woods. Any other distractions except nature flowing right. around you. Right. Uh, and start thinking about what do I want to look like? What do I want to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years? A long time out. You, you just have to decide what is what is the big vision for me. Right. Some people never even think about that question. What is the big vision for me? I t- I love this idea of developing a vision, and it reminds me of you know one of the things that that I kind of t- teach people is to is to declutter your environment and, and to literally get comfortable with silence so that you can ask the right questions and. You know, the problem is people are so overcommitted and so frantic, you know, with this life of ours in this modern world with all the technology that they don't take the time to just sit under a tree and ask themselves the right questions. I love the way you put that, get comfortable with silence. In fact, I've written in the margin of my book for the next positions. I put that in there because that's exactly right. Get to, get to your quiet place. Right. And, and once you get there, then dig down in your own mind and try to vision yourself out right. many years into the future. It might be 10 or 20 or 30, but build that vision. And mine was rebuild my family's wealth and reputation. Mm-hmm. Very simple statement. It's, it's declaratory. It's clear. It's measurable. And there are no excuses about it. And what I did was I wrote that out and kept it on a piece of paper for really for many, many years. Mm. And that was discovered when I was 18. Nice. And then I went back and, and developed new visions over the, uh, as I would accomplish things like that vision, mm-hmm. I would develop new visions mm-hmm. and I'd do it in the same manner. Uh, the next time I developed a new vision, I was in Africa sitting in a watering hole, watching the animals come in. No gun, just, just me and my camera and the animals. And that's where I found my quiet place the next time. Mm-hmm. So in your opinion, what's the difference between a, the vision and your goals? Because you stated a goal of you know, being a millionaire by the time you were 40. And I can see how that ties to your vision of replacing your family's wealth and reputation. But, but they're different. They work differently, right? 
That's exactly right. Goals are also concrete, clear, clearly stated, no wiggle room in them, declarative statements, measurable, mm-hmm. uh, and you write them down just like you do your vision statement, carry them with you for years and years, but they are the, the stepping stones to reach that vision. Mm. Because one of the first things I had to do to rebuild the family's wealth is I had to get my own wealth. So that became become a millionaire. Uh, So I didn't say anything about rebuilding reputation in that goal. Mm -hmm. But my actions helped rebuild the reputation. Right. Because I was after that goal, but I did it with with clear ethics and and self-discipline and uh, lack of interruption by emotional impulses and things of that mm-hmm. now you talk about something that seals know a lot about and that's pers- the power of persistence the power of persistence can you um you know give your perspective on that power well the power of persistence is huge because without that you can't do it so w- with persistence uh and, and all military people if they're successful in the military know the importance of persistence, uh, because that's one of the things that was drilled into us, and I'm, I'm sure that's the that's the reason you became a SEAL, is you did not give up. You never gave up. You never quit. And they try their best to make you quit. So so that persistence, and the important thing, the important thing about persistence is you can't really exercise your persistence until you failed. Mm-hmm. So failure is a very important part of success mm-hmm. because you have to have the persistence and the determination to get back up again uh, when you're knocked down or when you take three steps backward or sideways, get back on the path again and don't get discouraged, but just be doggedly determined, not stubborn. There's a difference. Right. Uh, stubborn is, is pursuing things that are not necessarily positive, but you're stubborn about it. Mm-hmm. Persistence is pursuing positive things and and being totally committed to making it happen, including sacrificing things that you have to sacrifice to get there, mm-hmm. like comfort, <laughs> like food, like time in front of the television watching football games. You know, you just those things have to go by the wayside, mm-hmm. like spending all the money you make rather than putting aside a golden goose to lay golden eggs for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very tempting when you're young to keep up with the neighbors and get the newest car, you know, get yourself a boat, take a fancy vacation so you can go brag about it at the office and so on. We didn't do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. We saved and saved and saved and saved some more. Our vacation was going to my wife's family's home for two weeks to mooch their food. <laughs> <laughs> And they knew it, and they loved us doing that. Right. But, you know, that, that is uh, what we did. We sacrificed for the greater good some of the pleasures and some of the comforts that we would love to have enjoyed. But that's persistence yeah. and sticking to your goal, even when it's harder than hard. Yeah. And sticking to your vision, even when it seems completely impossible, you know, if I had told 100 people who knew me what my vision was at 18, they would, laugh, they would unanimously have laughed me out the door. <laughs> That's right. I like, how you, uh, I like how you cite Abraham Lincoln and uh, Nelson Mandela with this power of persistence. Because I think about 
this notion that you've got to fail. Both of those men, you know, experienced unbelievable failure, but they never, they never gave up, and they just kept kept their eye on the prize. And I mean, well, and George Washington too, right? Uh, right. You know, his strongest suit was persistence. He lost almost every battle he fought. Right. He was not formally educated. J.K. Rawlings, the same thing. J.K. Rowling was a total failure before she became probably the wealthiest author in the history of mankind. Right. So it's, it is a uniform trait that other people seem to share mm-hmm. that have gone far beyond what most people would do to become far more than they thought they could become. Right. Yeah, well, time for one more. Um, kind of the... You know, kind of the the sister to perseverance or persistence, in my opinion, is focus. Knowing you know what to focus on, and then then being able to really laser your focus and not get distracted. Let's talk about that and and uh, who you thought really exemplified focus well. Well, you know, hard focus, which is which is what is a term that that's a term that I picked up several years ago. Mm. Hard focus is is such an extreme focus that you're able to, to, to not be distracted by anything or anyone. Mm-hmm. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the successful man is the average man focused. I love right. that. Right. Uh, but I've got some stories in there about focus and some examples of people who were able to laser beam their focus in. One of the greatest stories I know, though, is when Tiger Woods was coming up as a golfer, his uh, uh, his father, when he was in his backswing, would throw a set of keys down in front of his golf ball, <laughs> or he'd stomp the ground behind him, or he'd go up behind him and whisper something in his ear. Mm-hmm. And, and Tiger got very upset and said, you're ruining my golf swing. <laughs> and he said, you've got to have such focus that nothing will distract you when you're in your golf game. Right. And until you get that, you cannot be a champion. Right. And that's exactly what Tiger Woods had. If you watched him on the golf course, he had the most extreme hard focus of anybody. Mm-hmm. Nobody existed around him when he was out there on the golf course. Unfortunately, he lost that hard focus when he went through the troubles that he went through, mm-hmm. and he never regained it. Right. Interesting. Well, this has been fascinating, and um, the book, again, is The Powers. That's the title, The Powers, 12 Principles to Transform Your Life from Ordinary to Extraordinary. Uh, Mark, it's available um, on Amazon and, and other places like that in the bookstores, or how do, how do folks find yeah, it? Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's uh, on my website, markerwin.net. Okay. But Barnes and & Noble and, uh, and uh, Amazon are the best places to get it. Terrific. So now's a good time to go get it. Okay, yeah. Mark, it's been great to talk to you. I'm going to send you my my memoir, and I look forward to hearing hearing your or seeing your blog and podcast. Thank you. Uh, I wish you well with all your endeavors. You're, you're doing a great thing for other people, and this book is my effort at leaving a legacy to the next generations to come up, right. just, like, just like Norman Vincent Peale and right. so many other great people. Terrific. Well, I certainly appreciate that and, and all that you've done and I honor your service. And, and part of me tells me you're still getting warmed up and there's lots more to come. So good luck and let, let me know. Let us know if there's any way we can help you out. And hopefully we'll stay in touch. 
And so, uh, and thank thanks you. so much, Mark. I'd like to, and when I come out to San Diego, I'll give you a call. Yeah, please do. Please come look us up, and uh, we'll have a, a cup of tea or coffee or go play golf or something, which I don't do very often. Oh, but now you're talking. <laughs> Maybe you could teach me something. Now you're talking. I'm no good, but I love to play. <laughs> Outstanding. All right, folks, uh, that's it. So Mark Irwin, uh, you can check out at markirwin.net, and uh, I, I encourage you to get his book, The Powers. I really enjoyed it. You know, it was a very simple read and, and just some chalk with some great, great inspiration, and it's good stuff. Um, and I really appreciate, Mark, you, uh, for your, yeah, you for your time today. As usual, folks, uh, stay focused, train hard, do good, make a difference, and have fun. Hoo-yah. That's <laughs> If you're finding inspiration in the Unbeatable Mind podcast, then I bet you're ready to take the next step toward discovering your why and developing your self-mastery. So I encourage you to check out the Unbeatable Mind Online Academy. The Unbeatable Mind Academy is our intensive online training program with step-by-step techniques and training for developing mental focus and clarity, expanding your awareness, developing authentic leadership, increasing your functional fitness, nutrition, and recovery, and all around developing yourself to a higher stage and maximizing your performance as a human being. You're going to get great training and support from myself and our other coaches, and you'll be connected to your peers on the same journey in our private Facebook group. So if you're ready to cultivate your warrior spirit and develop your unbeatable mind, find out more at unbeatablemind.com. That's unbeatablemind.com. Hoo-yah. See you in training. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging.